wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A. This is a show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is a show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. Hey friends, it's Pastor Will Moala, pastor of the Paravista and the Gaulet Adventist Churches here in South Australia. We want to welcome you to our show today and also want to welcome my co-host in the studio with me today, Pastor Brenton Wilkinson. Good to have you in the studio, mate. It's nice to be here, Will. Yeah, looking forward to this. Absolutely. I, I know we are. <laughs> we are, we are. <laughs> so, um, so hey, friends, uh, wherever you're tuning in from today, we want to welcome you, uh, whether you're here in the Adelaide region or across the country, or you might be listening to this at a future uh, date through our website or through our Faith FM app. We want to especially want to give you a very warm welcome to our show today. And so today we're kicking off a brand new theme for the week, and the theme is Christmas. Ah, yes. And so obviously with Christmas just around the corner, we're going to be having a bit of a look at uh, different perspectives on Chris, uh, Christmas. And so for our team, we're going to be looking some of the questions we're going to be talking about over the next few days. Does the Old Testament really foretell Christ? Is Jesus just a myth like Santa? Can we accept the virgin birth? Um, is the biblical story of Christ's birth still relevant uh, in the third millennium? So that's just a couple of the questions that our team are going to be uh, taking a dive in for the rest of this week. But Pastor Brenton, um, what you and I are going to be looking at is the question, should I or should we celebrate Christmas and is Christmas pagan? Mm, I'm sure it's going to be an interesting discussion as we go through it. I think it's one of those uh, questions that, uh, you know, it can be somewhat divisive because, you know, you have one side that says absolutely no. Yeah. (laughs) And there's another side, hey, what's wrong with it? You know, and so I'm glad you're on the other side of this. um, I'm sure you are. (laughs) (laughs) I've got my flak jacket on. (laughs) So, so, yeah, we're going to be looking at Christmas. Um, That's our overall theme. Mm. And so, um, yeah, we thank you for tuning in today. And we hope that you will receive a blessing as we unpack this uh, question today. Uh, So, we're going to go to our World Watch segment. We like to do uh, just a bit of an article. uh, during the top of the hour. And so um, the, the article I'd like to share with you all today is from the conversation.com website, and the article is entitled, What Makes Religious Relics Like Pieces of the True Cross and Hair of Saints Sacred to Christmas? Most oh, sorry, not to, to Christmas. Christians. To no, Christians. No, no. Christians. <laughs> and so what I thought I'd do, Pastor Brennan, there's a couple of pages here. I want to read it, and then, um, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, on the matter. And so here we go. So this was an article, uh, What Makes Religious Relics Like Pieces of the True Cross and Hair of Saints Sacred to Christians? A Russian missile cruiser Moskva, the flagship of its Black Sea fleet, sunk after it was heavily damaged in April 2022. Kremlin officials said that a fire on board caused munitions to explode, while Ukrainian officials claimed they had attacked the Moskva. Several media reports noted that the ship might have been carrying a relic of the true cross, a piece of the actual wooden cross on which Christians believe that Jesus suffered and died. The possibility of the relic being on the sunken ship cannot be ruled out. A collector is said to have donated the relic in 2020 to the Russian Navy, which planned to place it in the Moskva's onboard chapel. It is unclear, however, whether the relic was on board the ship in his chapel when the vessel went into combat. But the widespread interest 
in the possibility of this ancient relic being on board points to its importance for many Christians. As an expert in medieval Christian liturgy and worship, I know, and this is the author speaking here, sure. um, I know that veneration of relics has a long history in Christian devotional practice. Venerating martyrs, in the, la- in the first three centuries of Christianity, Christians whose religion was outlawed prayed at the entombed bodies of martyrs who were executed for refusing to renounce their new faith. After the Roman Empire legalized Christianity in the early 4th century, smaller buildings called shrine churches were sometimes built around the tomb of a martyr. At times, the bodies of the martyr were exhumed by local bishops and reburied within the city itself, in a special tomb beneath the floor of a larger church or basilica. Prior to this practice, bodies of the dead were kept in tombs and in catacombs built outside of the city walls, so as to separate them from the city of the living. But Christians believed in the power of the martyrs and, later, other saintly persons to intercede on their behalf with God. Saints were respected and their relics and images renovated, but they were not adored or worshipped as God might be. Jesus' cross. After Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity, Jerusalem became an important center for Christians who wanted to make religious trips to visit the places where Jesus and his apostles lived and preached. The term pilgrimage, meaning journey, originated at that time. During this time, what was believed to be a piece of the true cross was brought back to Europe, supposedly by St. Helena, the emperor's mother, and broken up into smaller pieces. Another section remained in Jerusalem and was venerated there until in the early 17th century, a Persian emperor, a Zoroastrian, conquered the city and removed the relic among the spores of war. Several years later, the Persians were themselves conquered by the Christian emperor Heraclius, who returned the relic to Jerusalem. There it remained, even after the Muslim conquest of Jerusalem later that century. As Christianity spread throughout Europe beyond the boundaries of the Roman Empire, so did the practice of venerating the saints. The demands for a saintly body increased, and so the remains of famous or local saints were divided into pieces, which included clippings of hair or sometimes whole body parts. Amazing. Yeah. These relics, from a Latin word meaning something left behind, were frequently placed in special containers or display cases called reliquaries. Yes. These were usually especially elaborate, made of precious metals and adorned with jewels, as a reflection of the special reverence for these elements that had touched the body of Jesus Christ. The more famous the relic, the more pilgrims would make their way to the church or monastery where it was kept. And the more the clergy could earn through the offerings visitors made at the shrine, by the time of the millennium, the number of pilgrims traveling to visit Jerusalem from Europe increased. But tensions mounted between Muslim rulers and Christian leaders. There was friction among various Christian nobles and kings as well. Because of this, in the late 11th to the late 13th centuries, Christian political and religious leaders led a series of major wars, or the Crusades, to regain control of the Holy Land from its Muslim ruler. One result was an increase in the number of relics of Jesus, Mary, and other New Testament figures brought back to Europe and circulated as authentic. Some of these included fragments of bone or hair from apostles or other saintly figures, while others consisted of scraps of fabric from the clothing. Most esteemed of all were the objects that supposedly had touched the body of Jesus himself, especially those connected with his suffering and death. 
such as the spikes used to nail him to the cross. Mm-hmm. By the end of the medieval period, there was an overwhelming number of stories associating relics, relics with miracles, such as unexpected healings or protection from the dangers of weather. Many ordinary Christians treated the relics as a kind of lucky rabbit's foot, mm-hmm. owned or reverence for personal protection. This was true for relics of the true cross as well. In Venice, for example, several miracle stories of the true cross, especially of it saving ships from storms, circulated yeah, widely. And during the Reformation of the 16th century, many European Protestant writers objected to the Catholic veneration of relics. Most felt that it was a practice not found in the Bible. Others felt that many believers were worshipping saints as if they were divine, and that many devotional practices involving, involving relics involved fraud and superstition, not genuine prayer. The Protestant theologian John Calvin suggested that if all the, the supposed fragments of the true cross were gathered together, they would fill an entire ship. Even some Catholic scholars of the period, notably Erasmus of Rotterdam, criticized the fraudulent manipulation of believers for cashing offerings when visiting shrines and questioned the authenticity of many relics. In 1563, the Catholic Council of Trent responded to all of these criticisms by clarifying the Catholic view of relics in an official decree. In the document, the assembled bishops stressed that devotional activities involving relics should not border on superstition in any way, that filthy lucre, buying and selling of relics, be abolished, and that the veneration ceremonies not devolve into revelings and drunkenness. So as the article wraps up, it says, Until very recently, Catholic tradition divided relics into several classes, depending on their relationship to Christ or the saints. A first-class relic was a fragment of a saint's actual body, like a tooth, hair clipping, or silver of bone, or sliver of bone, sorry. Silver of bone. Silver of bone. (laughs) Pieces of objects involved in the Passion of Christ were also included in this class, since traditional theology teaches that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead after three days in the tomb and ascended bodily into heaven 40 days after. And whether prized as a lucky charm or venerated as a powerful reminder of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, this Russian relic of the true cross has taken its place in the paradoxical history of these valuable religious objects. The peaceful message of Jesus has often been lost in the violent chaos of war. True. So, in that article, uh, Pastor Brenton, mm. I was just, you know, I'm just mindful of, you know, Christmas around the corner and, you know, there's certain people who kind of, well, not... These are sincere Christians, if I might add to that, who have put some weight to some of these um, these findings, these relics. What do you think? Well, it's it's interesting because <clears throat> you mentioned in your last section, yeah, that the most important uh, category, according to our friends from the Catholic Communion, yep, is their relationship to Christ or the saints, yeah. One of the interesting things I find, and it's a bit curious seeing we're talking about the subject of relics and of parts of the saints or their hair or their yeah. clothes or whatever. As far as I can determine from Scripture, categorically we can say that only two people we know of for sure actually, probably three, actually touch Christ's body. 
they were Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who took him down from the cross and buried him in the tomb. On Sunday morning when he rose from the dead, Mary clasped his feet and he told her not to hang on to him because he hadn't yet ascended to the Father. Right. The only other person I can say categorically from Scripture that we know was invited to touch him was Thomas, who didn't believe that he'd risen from the dead. Now, (laughs) doesn't matter where you go, what pilgrimage you take, I don't think they've got any relics of St. Thomas or of Mary or of uh, Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus. And the Bible is fairly clear on this particular issue. If people want to do this, that's, that's their right. But the question I would be asking is this. According to Ecclesiastes 9, 5, and 6, it says this, For the living know mm. that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Nothing, yeah. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. And then down further, he says in verse 10, this is Solomon, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your mind. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you were going. If you choose to venerate the saints, if you choose to accept these things as authentic, and that's your right, uh, I don't think that we can say anything will other than there are some very well-meaning and very sincere people who believe these things. But if we compare that with what Scripture teaches, dead saints, wherever they may be, whether they're in Rome or whether they're elsewhere, whether you have to go on a pilgrimage or not, they can't do anything to help you. Yeah. Because after they died, they don't know anything further. They're not in a position to contact the living. They're not in a position to support us in any shape or form. So what I would say is this can become, in a sense, a form of idol worship. Right, yeah. Where I have a piece of the true cross, as John Calvin so eloquently put it, If all the pieces of the true cross were available, it would fill a boat. He may have had a point. He may have been speaking tongue-in-cheek, but he he had a point. But I ask myself the question, in venerating saints or articles of clothing or pieces of the cross or pieces of bone, pieces of hair, teeth or whatever it happens to be, are we forgetting that... (laughs) Really, the one that we should be focusing on is Jesus Christ, who said to Mary, don't touch me because I haven't yet ascended to the Father, and the angels who testified he is not here, for he is risen. Shouldn't our focus rather be on a risen Saviour, rather than venerating people who can no longer help you, and who indeed, in their own way, are awaiting the resurrection when Jesus returns? So I would not in any way do anything other than respect the right of people to do this type of thing, but I would question biblically whether this is where the focus should be. I think the focus should be on a risen saviour. We serve a risen saviour who's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men may say. That's a song that we know called He Lives, 
And I think that as Christians, that's where our joy should be. It should not be on pilgrimages right. and dealing with dead saints who are awaiting the life giver themselves. Because at that day when Jesus comes, we're told that we'll all be caught up together. That's the resurrected yeah. saints and ourselves to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we always be with the Lord. I'm just saying that I think the focus rather than on relics should be on that. All right. Well, well said, uh, Parser Brenton. And so, uh, I hope you appreciated our, um, yeah, our World Watch segment, just a bit of an article there, dealing with relics. And so, um, yeah, we, we hope that you enjoyed that segment today. So, hey, before we go to some music, we'd like to just promote our free book offer that yes. we are, uh, giving away this week. Our, our book offer for this week is entitled Knowing Jesus, Knowing God. And that is by the author David Marshall. And this book, if you want to, um, we've had one of these books on before. Oh, you have? Okay. Fantastic. Uh, so in this book, uh, David Marshall, what he does is he, uh, basically just a bit of background on David. He has degrees, including a doctorate in history, but he chose to spend his life communicating the gospel about Jesus Christ. And, uh, he is never happier than when he is immersed in the four gospels. And he believes that for those who read, that when you read the gospels, you encounter the living Christ. And, and he, yeah, just a fast, just a beautiful book about, um, knowing Jesus. Hey, if you would like it, it's, uh, look, it's retail at $8.95 if you were to buy this, um, on your own. So we'd like to give this to you as a free gift. If you'd like a free copy for yourself or friend, uh, please text the code S a one five zero. The code is SA one five zero to our number zero four triple eight eight zero eight double one, and then we will get your details and get that book out to you as soon as we can. So once again, knowing Jesus, knowing God by David Marshall, and uh, will be a great book for you or to pass on to a friend during this uh, Christmas season. Text the code SA one five zero to zero four triple eight eight zero eight double one. And we'll get that book out to you as soon as we can. Please don't go away. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, BQ&A.
waters plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. That was There Is A Fountain, an oldie but a goodie by musician Chris Rice. Hey, you'll listen to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A with Will and Brenton in the studio. If you've just tuned in, we are kicking off a brand new theme for today and the rest of the week. Our theme for our BQ&A is Christmas, but today... Pastor Brendan and I are looking at the question, should I or should we celebrate Christmas and is Christmas pagan? So Pastor Brendan, why don't you kick us off with our, our short study time today? Well, I could say two words and then we could shut up and go <laughs> home. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. Uh, should we celebrate Christmas? Well, let me start by sharing my Christmas experiences and then I'd like Will to hear from sure. you. I was brought up in a Christian home. Uh, did I believe in Santa Claus and all those sorts of things? If I did, if I ever did, and I don't believe my parents ever gave me that um, right. notion, it was badly shaken one uh, Christmas Eve where I found my father putting presents in a sock down the end of my bed. Yeah. So that ruined the idea of Santa Claus, not that we'd been told about Santa Claus anyway. But my late mother, a lovely lady that she was, she made a big thing of Christmas. Now, mum used to spend the whole year, she would save up for 12 months in order to be able to buy Christmas presents for wow. family and for family. our relatives and that sort of thing. They would come over on Christmas Eve, usually to our place or Christmas Day, and we would open our presents together. Now, when I say presents, I, I would probably average six or seven presents. <laughs> well, um, you, you receive six or yes, seven. Yes, wow. yeah, yeah. And I would be giving presents as well. And, of course, we had the usual accoutrements for Christmas. You know, we had Christmas lunch. Yes, Mum did have a Christmas tree, and um, some Christians would certainly take umbrage at that. So that's that's how Christmas began for me. When I became an adult and got married, uh, we still carried on the, the custom of giving presents and so right. on and so forth. Um, now that I'm a grandparent, uh, I don't – I do give gifts to my grandchildren if, if they want them. Uh -huh. That's the family. But <clears throat> to me, I think Christmas has become too commercialised. Right. For many people in Australia today who are not Christians, and let's be honest, the majority of Australians don't celebrate Christmas as a time of remembering Christ's birth. Some yeah. do, and then we have what we call C&E C &E Christians. You've probably heard of them. Yep. Chris Christmas and Easter Christians. <laughs> the only okay. time you see them at church is Christmas right. time or Easter time. Now, in all of this, I ask myself the question, because I can talk to people, and you you have no doubt as well, that people will tell me Christmas is pagan. You shouldn't yeah. be celebrating yep. it at all. We don't celebrate Christmas. We don't give presents. We don't do this. We don't do that. We don't do anything else. Yeah. It's all pagan, you know. It's all based around uh, the the, um, yeah. the permanence of the sun, uh, which uh, a certain Roman emperor put in place. It's called Signus Solus, I think. And uh, so they think that 
what we see as Christmas is directly of pagan origin. What I'd like to suggest in our study today is this. If you think along those lines, you're certainly entitled to think that way. However, in my research, I have realised that the Christmas period doesn't originate from pagan festivals or things that happen to happen around that time of year. Okay. December 25. All right, let's start at the beginning. What day do we celebrate Christmas? Yeah, December 25th, yeah. Yeah, by the way, how was Christmas for you growing up? Um, yeah, because, you know, I didn't, necessarily, I didn't grow up, I guess, in an overtly Christian home. Mum and Dad didn't profess Christianity or anything. Um, but I think like many typical households growing up in Australia, you know, you had your Christmas tree there. And obviously as a kid that... Christmas to you is just presents and yeah, it's, yeah, that's right. you know, Santa Claus and, you know, that whole festive, um, you know, all that stuff that comes along with it. So I guess for me, yeah, just, yeah, we celebrated Christmas in the sense that we just knew as me and my, my brothers and, uh, you know, we just, and we just knew as a time we would get a present. So, um, so very much so I'd probably say, yeah, we definitely celebrated Christmas growing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would have to agree that yeah. um, our situation was similar. I can remember as a kid actually sitting in um, Santa's lap. Not very often. It may have happened once or twice. That was about it. So you did, know, did you get the photo with Santa? Oh, yeah. yeah I would have had the photo with Santa. <laughs> it would be interesting yeah. to see well, what that picture it, looks like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not like now. <laughs> it's a whole industry. It's yeah. become a whole industry. And it's, it's totally commercially based. Why do they have Santa Claus in stores? To draw customers yeah. to stores, to buy presents, etc., etc. Yep. Look, I get all that. There's, there's no problem there. One of the things is that many Christians today who do not celebrate Christmas believe that Constantine was one of the people responsible for bringing right. uh, this in. And what, what he was doing was using a pagan festival uh, to Christianise it, so to speak, right. to make it acceptable to the pagans. And I would suggest to you, based on my research, it was actually the other way around. It was the pagans using a Christian festival. Why do I say that? Uh, December 25 is interesting. There was a guy called Sextus Julius Africanus. You may or may not have oh, what a, what heard a of name. Sextus, Sextus Julius Africanus. Okay. He was a Christian historian. Right. He wrote an interesting uh, chronology of the world. Uh, I won't try and pronounce it. Uh, it's in <laughs> Latin. It's a chronology of the world from creation to his day, which was 221 AD. Right. And in that, he had studied the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, which are the only two books that really talk about the birth of Christ. Right. Um, as you know, Mark goes straight into it. He basically says he was born, he was baptised, and then boom, we're right into yep. it. Uh, John talks about in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, etc., etc. But Matthew, speaking to a Jewish audience, and Luke, speaking to a Gentile audience, uh, look at the birth of Christ. Now, Matthew says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Matthew's the only one who mentions this. When you go to the book of Luke, you go back further. You actually start back 
where the angel comes to Zacharias, Zachariah rather, when he's in the temple um, offering incense and says, your wife is going to have a son. And then what Sextus Julius Africanus did is he looked at the Luke version of it where it said that when she was six months pregnant, Mary came along to see her. And you know the story. And so he says that, okay, so at that time the angel appeared to Mary, the angel being Gabriel, and said you were going to have a son and he will save his people from their sins. From their sins, yeah. So he dates... And this is where it becomes interesting for ourselves and our viewers, or listeners, I should say. He dates the date that she became pregnant as March 25. Okay. This is Sextus Julius Africanus. Really? Then, now, if you count nine months from there, what date do you get to? December 25. Okay. Now, Hippolytus of Rome, who was another Christian apologist and author, he also dated the birth of Christ at December 25 using different methodology. All I'm trying to say here for those who, I realise that what we say today is probably not going to change those who are against um, Christmas anyway, but I, I honestly think we have to ask a question that we'll get to a little bit further along. You also have another Christian apologist called John Chrysostom in AD 386. He said that Christians celebrate Christmas on December 25, and it's a long-time tradition. In other words, something they've been doing for a long time. So I think we need to be a little bit careful in saying it's of pagan origin because it actually predates uh, the times that we're talking about. And so... I think it's safe to say that God did not see fit to tell us exactly when Christ was born. Yeah, exactly. Do we have form on this one? Do we have precedent for it? Yes, I believe we do. Think back to in Numbers 21, what what happened there. The snakes were biting the people and God said to Moses, make a serpent of bronze and hold it up on a pole, and anybody who looks at it will live. Now, you come down to the book of Kings, in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4, you come across a guy called Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah (laughs) was a good king. Okay. What did he do? Believe it or not, the bronze pole, uh, the bronze snake on the pole was still present. It was somewhere near the temple. I'm not saying it was in the temple, but people used to come and worship it. Wow. They used to offer incense to Nehushtun. Kind of like like our article. Nehushtun is simply another Hebrew word for serpent. So why did God in his wisdom not tell us the day that Christ was born? I can't speculate too much, and I don't think it's safe to do so, but he obviously saw that it was not necessary for us to know because we don't know the exact day that Christ died. We don't know the exact day that Christ was born. Why? Because the focus has to be on Christ. Yeah. The adoration of Christ, the uh, worship of Christ rather than the day. Yeah. So I'm just suggesting that to you as a, as a possibility. Yeah. I think just adding on that as well, yeah, Pastor no, Brennan, no, is I think you made a, a fabulous point that while we don't exactly know when Jesus was born, the, more, the important thing that I think for Christians to realize is, is that we know that prophecy was fulfilled uh, 
precisely as predicted that he was born in Bethlehem to a virgin and, you know, all the the things about Jesus, you know, he was lying in the manger, he lived a sinless life and ultimately he, he died as man's uh, substitute and sacrifice. So I think you're onto something, Pastor Brandon. If the Bible is silent on something, we shouldn't make... Uh, we shouldn't. We make shouldn't some be too strident on too dogmatic or dogmatic. Yeah. that's the word. Yeah. either for it or against it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Yeah. Uh, we'll get to it a, a little bit later. But yep. the Emperor Aurelian, All right. uh, according to one source that I um, sought today, his name is Thomas Talley, and he's written a book called uh, "The Origins of the Liturgical Year." Okay. And he says in there that rather than the Christians using a pagan festival, it was the other way around. There were so many people by the 3rd and 4th century who were becoming Christians that the Roman temples were empty because all, all the people were becoming Christians and going to the Christian church. So he changed the day oh, okay. that they celebrated um, this solace of the, the immortal sun. Wow. He changed it from probably not December 25 to December 25. Oh, okay. We don't yep. know precisely what the date was prior to that, but it was not December 25. And okay. he suggests very strongly, and I've researched this a bit, that in actual fact, rather than the Christians using a pagan festival to Christianize the pagans, the emperor, seeing that emperor worship and idol worship was dying out, decided to change the day that they celebrated the festival of the winter solace oh, right. to December 25. I gotcha. In other words, the Christian version, rightly or wrongly, was being celebrated prior to this. Okay. And then you have other things like Saturnalia. Saturnalia was a festival that they used to uh, practice, the debauchery and drunkenness that used to go on there. See, that's another thing that's been suggested that, uh, you know, that's that's about the time of Christmas. No, they celebrated that on December 17. What has actually happened, I believe, Will, is this. I believe that there were, there were quite a number of pagan festivals around that time. But to actually say that Christian, Christi, uh, that this, <coughs> the Christmas period, and specifically the Christmas day, dates from pagan customs is wrong. It happened to be around that particular time. And I think that's worth bearing in mind. And it might also moderate our thinking as we deal with one another in love yeah. over this particular issue because you and I know sincere Christians, they won't have a bar of Christmas. Right. And he's shape or form. Yep. Then you get other people who celebrate it wholeheartedly. So where is where is the yeah, where's the, where's the, the middle path, yeah. so to speak? Um before we go to a break, I think it's worth saying this. Why should we not celebrate the greatest gift that God ever gave to this earth? Look, if it didn't happen precisely on December 25, and I'm not going to go into the weather argument, the sheep couldn't be in the field. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what the temperature is over there at the moment? What's that? It's 14 degrees Whoa. in Bethlehem during the Pretty month cold. of December. Night temperature is 8 degrees. Wow. Um, what's happening at the moment, uh, we're, we're going to discuss in the not-too-distant future, we're going to have a look at an article dealing with what's happening in Palestine and in uh, Gaza at the moment. Do you know what they're having over there at the moment? moment they're having major rain. <laughs> 
Palestine, major rain. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they're having major rain. These poor people have been displaced. Their homes have been bombed. They've got nowhere to go. Yeah. Now so, they're wandering so, around yeah. in the wet and the cold. <laughs> yeah. So, Pastor Bernie, is it, would it be safe to say kind of where we're landing at this part, mm-hmm. at this time in our show is the second part of the question, um, should, should Christians celebrate Christian, uh, Christmas and be of the same question, um, is Christmas pagan? Are we saying in general terms that, yeah, yes, December 25, we don't see it in the Bible. We we it's, see it more as a. It's not in the Bible. It's something that kind it of was introduced yeah. through yes. through you know Roman you know yeah, uh, you mentioned Constantine and others. What I am suggesting is that it was also introduced through Christian authors. Okay, so it prior was, to the eternal day of the sun, before it was. Or, you became know, December twenty five. Many Christians say today, "Oh, December twenty five is a direct descendant from uh, celebrating the the uh, conclusion of the winter solstice." Yeah. Now, what I'm saying to you is, it is not that clear. My study has indicated to me it is not that clear. Two things: number one, God never saw fit to give us the date. Number two, uh-huh. it's not in the Bible. Does that mean we should not celebrate it? Right. They're the questions that I think we need to ask ourselves today. And can we use, and we'll get to that after you've had the break, we'll get to it. How can we use Christmas effectively to reach out to others? Because after all, the story of Jesus Christ and his gift to this earth surely is the greatest story that's ever been told. Shouldn't we just be mute on the subject because some people think that it is a pagan festival in honour of a pagan festival? I think we should utilise this opportunity and, so to speak, shout it from the housetops because it's the only time of the year that many people take any notice. Yes, they're commercialised. Yes, they're spending their money on presents they don't need for people they don't like and all the rest of it. (laughs) Presents Uh, you don't don't I I like the way you put that. You've got all of this type of stuff going on, but surely we can utilise it in a positive way. That's what I'm saying to you and myself. It's very similar to what you you said um, you remind me, Pastor Brennan, of um, I think it's in Philippians, the first chapter, when you know Paul was writing to the church in Philippi about his chains, and he said something along the lines of, "Whether Christ is preached because of out of envy, envy or, or something, of, something." But yeah. he's like, "Praise so God, Christ is being yeah. preached." And I think there's a bit of that going yeah, on in yeah. this conversation. Is there is okay? There may be a background of paganism, and you know, we may not see the date in the Bible, but hey, as you said, Pastor Brennan. What better time when people are talking about, you know, even, even about the birth of Jesus. I mean, literally just this weekend, Pastor Brendan, I know we're, I know we know that Christmas, I think we both sides can agree that we know that Christmas is being used for profit in, you know, within, know you know, it's all about presents and making a profit with our, with the big retailers. But, you know, having said that, um, I was in the shopping center just, yeah. um, just yesterday, Pastor Brendan, and yeah, walking through and it was a really busy, um, Day and um, we saw a little glass, basically a box there with the nativity scene inside. Mm-hmm. You know, with yeah. Mary, Joseph, mm-hmm. and and little baby Jesus in the manger. Now, to be honest, Mary looked very um, adorned. She had this flowing, like she looked spectacular. But right. she would have just been, a, you know, humble lady well, there in the was. actual story. But you know, it was an opportunity for me with my four year old to just you know walked over there and I just hey. That's baby Jesus, you know, and she's still trying to, 
you know, register what's going on. And I'm like, that's, yeah, that's yeah, Jesus. Yeah. That's, that's Jesus. And we, we only spend, you know, maybe 30 yeah, seconds at, yeah, over there. Yeah. Then we kept moving. Yes, but she's thinking. About yeah, it, but, she's, but the fact that I wouldn't have thing. said baby mm. Jesus yeah. if, if, if it wasn't Christmas, you know. That's right. So I guess that's what you're saying, Pastor Brendan. You know, it is a time that we can, um, definitely share, uh, about Jesus and people are, are a little bit more open. They are a little bit more open. There are two things that probably need to be said about where did these ideas come from that it was pagan. Um, here is a couple of things for our listeners to take on board if they want to do their own research. I'm always happy for people to do Pastor their Brennan, own research. Pastor Brennan, can you hold the thought? We'll go to a break and then we'll come let's, right back at you. Let's give them I'm just a book offer and then let's, <laughs> Yes, okay. I will give them a little bit more information then we'll try and wind it up a bit yeah. and show how should how should we then treat the day. Fantastic. Because it is not, to my mind, proven beyond doubt that it is of pagan origin. Fantastic. We'll so do that in just then, a couple of moments. Can we use this opportunity to reach out to those who know, don't know Jesus at all? Absolutely. Looking forward to it, Pastor Brennan. So, hey, we're going to go to a break now, but before we do, we just want to promote our free book offer one more time in our show today. Our free book offer uh, is entitled Knowing Jesus, Knowing God by author David Marshall. And in this book, as you know by the title, it's all about Christ, reveals his personality, the reasons why we can believe in him and depend on him, and how we can accept his salvation. If you would like a free copy of this book, we offer it free of charge to you, our listeners. All you need to do is text the code SA150, the code again, SA150, to our number 04888-80811. And we will get that book out to you as soon as we can. So please don't go away. We'll be back in just a few moments. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Be a Q&A.
friend we have in Jesus. You are listening to Faith FM Drive Time BQ&A with Will and Brenton in the studio. Uh, we're having a wonderful conversation around the theme of Christmas, and we've been looking at the question today, how, or sorry, should I celebrate Christmas? Is Christmas pagan? And that's what we've been looking at these last uh, number of minutes. So, uh, Pastor Brendan, uh, we've got a, a good 10 plus minutes in our show today. Um, keep walking us through this conversation. I think just before the break, you talked about this idea of the pagan aspect of Christmas. Mm, um, yeah, why don't you take us from there? I can. Many people on uh, who are listening to our program would have heard of the Puritans. Yeah. I believe there are two main sources that we get this idea that Christmas and everything everything associated with it is directly from pagan origin. Remember, I've just said before the break that, yes, it took place during a period when pagan festivals were celebrated. But that's different from saying that it comes from pagan origin. What it's saying is that this date, December 25, is set in the middle of a whole heap of pagan celebrations. That doesn't automatically mean that it's, it's of pagan origin. Right. Uh, Oliver Cromwell, many people will have heard of him, became Lord Protector of England. In 1640, he banned Christmas. Wow, Because okay. they considered the drunkenness and the... Uh, the behaviour of people at Christmas time was unbecoming. They also considered that it uh, the issue of Christmas came solely from the Roman Catholic Church, and of course they were Puritans. And I'm not entering into any religious debate with anybody here over this particular issue, because I'm sure there are people from these churches who are yeah. listening to the program. But <clears throat> he banned it until 1660. He died himself in 1658. And the monarchy was restored in 16, um, well, around about that time when Charles II took the throne and he reinstituted Christmas again. Okay. Now, another key factor in determining the origin of Christmas comes from the book The Two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. Correct. Now, I happen to have that book at home. I have read sections from it and some of it sounds pretty convincing. But in my research, I have also discovered that a lot of what Alexander Hislop says historically is not necessarily accurate. Okay. I'm not saying that everything he says in the book is wrong. I'm not saying that at all because a lot of it, I think, makes good sense. But what I'm saying is that maybe as we consider and sit back and say Christmas, forget it. It's of pagan origin. (laughs) We need to recognize that many of these comments have come from more recent Uh, Dates rather than further back in time. I've just demonstrated that there were Christian apologists, Christian scholars who believed that December 25 was the date that Christ, or around that date was the time that Christ was born. But I want to share something with our listeners. You know this uh, section as well as I do. So I'm going to turn to it in 1 Corinthians 9. I believe when you're dealing with contentious issues like this, and I'm sure folk... And there are people listening to this program now who's saying he's sitting on the fence. He's not coming down one way or the other. <laughs> the, re- the reason I'm doing that is because my research has taught me to be cautious. Okay. That you cannot be, and I think you and I agree on this, you cannot be tog- do- too dogmatic yeah. on something that is proven beyond doubt, particularly when the scriptures do not support it. One way or the other. God has not seen fit, as I said earlier on, to tell us when Christ was born. Correct. 
So in 1 Corinthians 9, I'm just going to read it to you. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I may win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law towards Christ, he's got in brackets, that I might win those who are without law. Then in verse 22, he says to the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. So right. what I'm suggesting, I guess, in here, as we start to wind this study up and another text of Paul's that I think we need to uh, have a look at is in Romans 14. Yes, the chapter is dealing with the issue of food offered to idols, but nevertheless, there's a principle in here, I believe. Verse 5 says, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. I believe <clears throat> Paul is, is pointing out a principle. The principle is if it offends your brother or sister, don't do it. Yeah. So how do, how do we, in dealing maybe with a fellow Christian who believes that Christmas is of pagan origin, how do we handle a situation like that in Christian love as God would have us to handle it? Yeah. I think that's an important issue for us to think about because people can become, well, you've probably come across it. I certainly have become quite strident in this matter. You get those who say it's pagan, don't go anywhere near it. And then you read these texts in scriptures and in comparing these texts with scripture, I say to myself, what would Jesus do? What did Paul do? Paul said he became all things to all men in order to save some. Christmas time, despite its commercialism, despite the fact that for some people it's just a time of eating, drinking and giving presents and getting presents. And by the way, yeah. the presents is not of pagan origin. Remember, the issue of presents came from the wise men in Matthew chapter 2 who gave Christ and his parents the gift of gold, myrrh and frankincense. Correct. That's where presents come from. And if you want further uh, definition, go back to the book of Esther, chapter 9. When the Jews were delivered from their enemies, they gave gifts to one another. So to uh, automatically assume that this gift-giving comes from pagan origin, not necessarily so again. There are precedents for it in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Correct. And so that's, that's sort of the way we go. Um, I would say this. If you choose not to celebrate Christmas at all because you right. still believe it's of pagan origin, that's your right. I have to respect that. Correct. However, if I choose to celebrate Christmas or you used to celebrate it, I don't believe we should be condemned. Correct. But how do we go about celebrating it? And this is where I've got a few suggestions uh, okay. to make to our listeners, maybe. Here's something we can do to celebrate the birth of Christ at that time of year. Read the gospel accounts of Christ's birth in Matthew chapter 2. I just started out by reading a little bit. Now, the birth of Christ came about this way. This is what Matthew says. Luke takes a different approach. Matthew was a tax collector. Luke was a doctor. 
when you read the book of Luke, it's very forensic. <laughs> I've checked it all out, and this is what it is. <laughs> People have said that Luke was a very poor historian, but the more I study the book of Luke, the more uh, many scholars have come to the conclusion that what Luke says in his gospel is spot on. He's researched it thoroughly, and he knows what he's talking about. Yep. Um, so read the gospel accounts. You can use December 25, folk, to read the gospel accounts to your children, your grandchildren, or just as a family, get together and read the account of this gift that was given yep. uh, to this um, world by God the Father. Get involved in your church. By that, I, right. mean, I don't just mean don't become a C&E Christian, Christmas and Easter. Actually become actively involved in your church and glorify God that way. But remembering the gift that he has given to us yeah. in Christ uh, will lead us, I believe, or should motivate us to want to become involved in our own and churches. Now, here's the third point, and I'm going to elaborate on this a little bit before we, as we close. I've put down here, visit a poor neighbour or, or a contact with food. Better still do Christmas dinner for those who have no family or nowhere to go. The church that I attended before I went full-time into ministry, I remember my wife and I, and our church was in the heart of Adelaide City. In fact, this church is the most centrally located of any Adventist church in Australia. Correct. We did Christmas dinner for some of our church members and others who had nowhere to go at Christmas Day. We gave them a full-on Christmas dinner, three courses. And the appreciation of these poor folk, some of them were lonely, some of them had no family at all, and some of them had nowhere to go, and we said, invite anybody along to this and we did Christmas for them. I know we're not uh, pioneering anything. I know right. other people do these things. I'm merely suggesting that these are some things that we can actually do. So I would say in conclusion, should we celebrate Christmas? If our conscience tells us it's fine, do it. If not, if you still feel that it's pagan and you, uh, you would be breaking your religious convictions by doing it, don't do it. But is it pagan? I don't believe on the basis of what I've said that it is pagan. I believe it's certainly found in a period where a lot of pagan practices originate. Yep. But to say that Christmas is of pagan origin is incorrect. Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ. Correct. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That's the message of Christmas. It's not yeah. about pagan origins. It's about the birth of Christ. That's the factor that we should be sharing with others. Fantastic, uh, Pastor Brandon. Um, thank you so much for unpacking that pretty, uh, yeah, pretty challenging question. And so, it um, is challenging. So, I uh, thank you for that. your yeah discernment and your your ability to explain scripture for us in a very easy to understand way hey listen uh for our listeners out there look our time is up for today and so um we've got to end our show today but i just want to um just remind you that um yeah that uh we'll be having our uh program on to tomorrow where uh marty and uh ricardo our, our drive time presenters they'll be looking at the question does the old testament really foretell christ and so i'm sure that you'll be in for a treat tomorrow so before we leave you, we want to leave you with the words of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, 27. He says, Peace I leave with you. 
my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. May God richly bless you, and we'll see you next time.